Okay, verse 2, it says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Paul is now highlighting the need not only to pray. We, we believe all Christians ought to pray. But he is saying prayer should be a standard feature of the Christian life. We ought to always pray consistently and every day. Now, uh, in Luke 18, verse 1, can you guys open your Bibles or your smartphones there? Luke 18, 1. It says, and he told them a parable of the effect of that, um, to that, that they ought to always to pray and not lose heart. And he told them a parable of the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Church, if there's anyone that is losing heart on certain of some of the things that you have been praying for, don't lose heart. Continue to pray. Some of you have been praying for some specific thing for years on end. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Look what it says in Scripture here. In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but after he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down with her continued coming. Wow. So what are they saying? There's something great about persistence of doing the same thing. The persistency of prayer, the constancy of prayer, and doing that in our daily life. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect, which is us, who cried to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Apostle Paul is not talking about the fervency of prayer. He's not talking about a passionate prayer. He's not talking about a style of prayer. He's talking about a life of prayer for a Christian. What he is saying is, we need to continue. This is something that we do every day. Aristotle once said, we are what we do every single day. If you want to have an excellent life, you need to devote yourself to doing something that is put on repeat every single day. For us, prayer is not a broken record. Prayer is not something that we feel coerced to do. Prayer is not something that we do out of our guilt and our shame. We do it because by it, we not only grow, we mature, but our whole understanding of who God is becomes that much more clear. Church, a lot of us think that prayer is just getting things from God. And of course, because He is a generous God and He is a giving God, He gives to us from everything that is in His heart for us. But one thing I want to make sure is this. The greatest gift in a life of prayer is not getting the promise. It's actually receiving God in the process. The prayer life is not just about getting something from God, but it's about receiving and knowing this amazing God who is not only loving, but sovereign and full of authority. So here, if you also look in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, it says pray continually. This can happen because we also learned in Colossians, set your minds and your heart on the things where? Above. When you do so, you can naturally, automatically 
place yourself in that presence where you are praying continually. I also said there's a prayer that I've been doing recently and it's been awesome. Whatever comes to my, mar- my mind and my heart, I pray the opposite spirit. When I think of someone, I want to bless them. It's kind of like a blurred out prayer. Whatever that comes that God is giving to me, if it's something that is not right and positive, I reverse it and say, Lord, I want to see this being played out with my thought. On the other end, if there is someone who kind of God kind of downloads in my heart, whether it's a John Smith or a Mary Jackson or whatever it might be, it's someone that I pray for in the Lord. I don't know what you want me to pray for, but I want them to be poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Lord, I want them to know God intimately. I want them to encounter Jesus Christ, that you would break into their dreams and their visions, even in their deep sleep, so they will get to meet not only the man dressed in white, but they would know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now, why do we need to pray every single day? It's because you can't go deep with God on the run. Fitting him in the cracks of your daily schedules, you can't grow in Christ. You can't enjoy continual fellowship with God on the run because if you do, it's never a deep relationship. You only get to meet this deep God in the stillness of a season of prayer. So yes, by all means, make it your aim throughout your whole day that you are a walking conversation with God. Memorize the Word of God. Pray through the Word of God. Your desire being offered up to Him hour by hour. Make that your aim. I shared a couple months ago about the secret to having a prayer life is not making greater commitments about who, uh, what kind of a prayer life you're going to do. It's to have better thoughts and greater thoughts of who God is. See, a lot of us in the beginning of the year, we commit, okay, I'm going to pray every day. I'm going to pray at this hour. I'm going to pray this much. But we make so many big commitments on God, and we will ourselves to do it, and then we start to wane here after. But the thing that about prayer that unleashes a life of prayer is what? We need to have great thoughts of who God is, that God is Abba, Father. Now, he uses a word, devoted. I believe devoted just means giving all of ourselves into a specific act. And the way to be devoted to prayer is to be devoted regularly in a time of solitude. You go deep with Him in the moments of quiet focus. And in this depth, God's real and weighty sense and presence fills the rest of our time and our day. Not only is there a call for consistency but prayer, but also in the manner in which we are to pray. What's the manner? To pray continuously with a watchful and thankful heart. Okay. Now, when it says watchful, it also means alert. Basically, if you were to translate that from Greek, it basically means to be awake. Okay. To be awakened when you pray. That it's not some sort of habit that happens subconsciously for us, but it's a habit that we intentionally do because we know the gifting in that as well. Now, when should you do it? How long should you do it? Okay, now, I know that every different uh, kind of like personalities here, not everyone is the same. I'm a morning person, so I'm really wide awake in the morning. When someone says, let's meet early in the morning, that's awesome. I have the whole day that I could do stuff. But there are people here that's not really a morning person, right? So imagine if you had to go to early morning prayer at 4.30 in the morning, which I did when I served um, in Korea years ago. 
right? I don't know if I ever had an amazing prayer life. Even for me as a morning person, 4.30 is really, 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 really early. And so most of the time, I'd be so tired in my fatigue because when you're serving in Korea, it's almost like nonstop, right? Like you, you leave four in the morning, you go to morning prayer, and then you have morning worship for pastors every single day. And then you kind of share the whole work that's ahead of you. And then you do the work, you come back in the evening, you report back to the executive pastor. And by the time I go home, it's 11 p.m. and I got to do this all over again. I did that for almost three years. And I always say, pastors here in North America, it's like heaven. Heaven on earth, right? When should you do it? When you're the most alert. Not only physically, but spiritually. Why strain yourself to do this prayer when you are not alert and awakened? Not only to the presence of God, but also spiritually and physically. How long must you do it? Uh, if you are doing nothing, I would just say do something. <laughs> as simple as that. Start where you are and take one small step. Then ask God to grow in you a deep and a fruitful prayer life. We need more Christians that are faithful in their maturity as they pray. They have to understand what it means to have a lingering presence of God with focused on meditation, on the word, and focused on prayer. How do we do that? Being awake and alert and being thankful. Now, why does Apostle Paul say, be thankful? Why would he say something like that? I think it's simply put, the reason why he says, be thankful in your prayer, is because thankfulness stimulates prayer life. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is honorable, think upon those things. Because when you think upon these things, it will lead from worry to worship. The reason why we need to be thankful and be intentional about it is because when we don't, we start to see the negative things. We become cynical, we become pessimist. It's like glass half empty approach. But when you train your heart and your mind to be thankful even for the slightest things that God has given to us, it motivates and stimulates our life of prayer. But what is the greatest thing that we're thankful for? A sinner who was forgiven, who gets to spend this amazing relationship and the intimacy that we call between the father and his children. It's almost like we should have died, but we've been given life. Imagine if you were on your deathbed, but miraculously you were saved. Would you live a life the same way that you did before? Or would you be thankful in all things? Thankful every moment, every memory, every experience, every day, that every day does become a gift from God. So it is with us. When you are thankful, it stimulates and it motivates our life to thankfulness. The second thing he says is the attitude of praying daily is to be awakened and to be alert. To what? What are we supposed to be awakened to? And what are we supposed to be alerted to? It's basically this. That Christ is coming back. Church, if you don't have eschatology in your spirituality, you will never know in the time and the seasons you're living. You're just going to be living day by day by day with no, no intentional structuring of your life. You can also refer to this as to watch our own life 
in light of the return of Christ. Believers, we need to constantly to be awakened to the nature of the times that they live in, in the last days, and this should cause us to orient our lives accordingly because He is coming back. Don't get too comfortable here. Don't build your home here. That's why Christ says, abide in me and I will abide in you. It's our comfort that ruins our life. We're not meant to be comfortable. We are even to the point of discomfort. Jesus must be everything to us. The sense of expectation of Christ's near return not only governs but also motivates our prayer. Why? Because our time is limited. Our time is limited. I remember uh, this pastor who was held in captivity in North Korea, Pastor Lim. He now goes around and speaks all around the world. And this is what they say, and this is what he's been saying. I want to make every second of my life count. Because I was held captive, and to be free from all this, I want to make every second count. Church, knowing that we have been saved and forgiven of our sins, we are destined for glory, and we will inevitably produce more thanksgiving when we see eschatology that Christ is coming back into our Verse 3, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us the door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, an account of which I am in prison. He, he now shifts it back. Now he's saying, in your constancy, in your daily uh, spiritual disciplines of prayer, I want you to now remember me in your prayer as well. Okay. What does he pray for? He wants us. The people that he's sending this letter to, I want you to pray for us. Now, some people say, well, he's asking for prayer for himself, Timothy, and other co-workers, whoever that might be. But for him, he knows specifically what he wants people to pray for. There are people in our church that ask for a very generic prayer request for me, right? Hey, Pastor Paul, pray for me that I will love God more. I don't know how to pray for that. I mean, God already loves you anyway. But I guess he can love you even more infinitely, perfectly. I don't know, right? But there are those, like there's this one sister in our church. I said, hey, can I pray for you? And she's one of our CG shepherds. And she had five specific things for me to pray for. That made it really easy for me. And then last week, she sent me a text. Okay, you don't have to pray for that anymore. That's been answered. Okay? And in the, in the way in which that was answered, it was unbelievable. It, it, it only could happen because the hand of God was on it. Okay. But Apostle Paul asks the people of the church in Colossae to pray for him specifically. How does he do this? It's because he knows his needs and he knows his calling. Church, we have to understand where he is physically as he's asking for this prayer request. He's not in a comfortable office chair. He's actually sitting on a hard, wet, cement floor, ground floor. I don't even know if they have cement back then, but whatever it is, he's sitting in prison. Now, if I was sending this letter, this is what I would have said. Please pray for me that I might be released from this prison immediately. But that's not what he prayed for. Even as he was chained up, he knew exactly what he needed, and his calling drew his whole impetus of saying, I want you to pray for me. Now, what does he ask for in prayer? He says, open door. 
opened the door for me that I might experience what God can only do in sharing the word of God so I can declare the mystery of God. Now, back in those days when they say open door, it actually talks about an opportunity. But what kind of opportunity? He's saying, I want an opportunity, even though I'm in prison, for the evangelical ministry that I've been called to. Church, that's like, so for me, that's unbelievable that he could be in prison and he's asking for prayer in the midst of him being in prison and bondage and saying, I don't want you to pray for me necessarily, but if you have to, why don't you pray for me to experience the open door of sharing the word of God, which is the mystery of Christ. Isn't that amazing? Not an open door for Apostle Paul to walk through. But he is saying, I want you to pray for me so that the door that's opened onto me, the message of the word of God can go through. It is the word that might have to enter because it's the only thing that can transform our lives. But what does he also say? It's not human effort that opens these doors. It's actually what? It's God who opens the door. Some of our members are going to be going to Honduras soon. And then they're going to go to Tijuana. We're going to pray, God, open to us a door where we can share the word of God and the mystery of Christ. If that is not our ultimate goal in doing mission, then we're just doing good works. Apostle Paul knew this. He's saying, I don't want you to pray for anything else. I don't even need you to pray for my freedom from this chains, but I want you to pray that I might be given an opportunity that only God can give, despite being in chains, I can still talk about what? The word of God, specifically the mystery of Christ. Now, what is the mystery of Christ? What is he talking about? Some scholars think that he's talking about the inclusion of Gentiles, but I actually think he just wants to unlock the mystery of Christ. He wants his ministry to be all about Christ. Just let me read to you a quote from John Stott. It's from his book, a very well-known book called Basic Christianity. Jesus never concealed the fact that his religion included a demand as well as an offer. Indeed, the demand was as total as the offer was free. If he offered men his salvation, he also demanded their submission. He gave no encouragement, whatever, to thoughtless applicants for discipleship. He brought no pressure to bear on any inquirer. He sent irresponsible enthusiasts away empty. Luke tells of three men who either volunteered or were invited to follow Jesus, but no one passed the Lord's test. The rich young ruler, too moral, earnest and attractive, who wanted eternal life on his own terms, went away sorrowful with his riches intact, but with neither life nor Christ as his own possession. The Christian landscape is strewn with wreckage of half-built towers, the ruins of those who began to build and were unable to finish. For thousands of people still ignore Christ's warning and undertake to follow him without first pausing to reflect on the cost of doing so. The result is a great scandal of Christendom today. We have the so-called nominal Christianity. In countries to which Christian civilization has spread, large number of people have converted themselves with a decent but thin veneer of Christianity. They've allowed themselves to become somewhat involved, enough to be respectful, but not enough to be uncomfortable. 
The religion is great, but it's a soft cushion. It protects him from the hard unpleasantness of life and this world while changing its place and shape to suit their convenience. No wonder the cynics speak of hypocrites in the church and dismiss religion, this type of religion, as escapism. The message of Jesus was very different. He never lowered his standards or modified his condition to make his call more readily acceptable. He asked his first disciple, and he asked every disciple since, to give him their thoughtful and total commitment. Nothing less than this will do. I believe Apostle Paul understood that. Despite being in chains, and it was not about the freedom that he wanted. He wanted to advance the gospel despite being chained up. And he's saying, if you have anything in your remembrance of me, I want you to pray that God, only God can open the door for the word of God to walk in. And through that, I want the mystery of Christ to be unlocked. Church, in the gospel... In our life, when we say we believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the greatest gift is not the prosperity that we get with Jesus Christ. Because if that's what you're after, it's a contractional, transactional religion. I have to do good work, and I do good work, and so God owes me, so he has to bless me with prosperity. That's not the gospel, as Jesus says. It's about total commitment, knowing the cost, even if it afflicts us, wrecks us, makes us discomfortable, we are ready to do so because Christ has never lowered his standards or modified his call for me. I go in because there's nothing less than this. The greatest thing in the gospel is not getting more things from God or just barely getting into Christianity and also heaven. But the greatest gift, as John Piper, I believe, says, is the greatest gift of the gospel is Jesus himself. Apostle Paul knew that. Pray for me that I may walk through the door. And because of that, the word would be entered. And that I would be able to share the mystery of Christ. As we often said in this series, nothing can be added upon Jesus. But Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And that is the eternal thing that we want to focus. But now, I think it's also kind of funny that he's actually chained up. But he's talking about an open door. Now, what's his status right now? I shared that he is a prisoner. But his cause is about advancing Christ. What he is saying is, hey, no matter what the world does to me, they can chain me up, they can lock me up, they can be against me, but nothing will ever thwart the mission and the work of God. They might chain me, they might persecute me, they might beat me up, they might kill me, so be it. But the word of God can never be stopped and the will of God will never be thwarted. In all things as it pertains to Christianity and the things that God does, it will never be stopped. God's word cannot be chained. We must allow the word to confront us, to disturb our security, to undermine our complacency, and to overthrow our patterns of thought and behavior. That's the amazing thing. Apostle Paul says, even though I'm in prison, it doesn't matter because they don't even know that God's word can never be chained. 
They can shut my mouth. They can do whatever they want, but the word of God will go on forever and the mission of God and the call of God for the nations will go despite me, even in spite of me. Church, how many of you guys feel this way? How many of us feel like we are sort of chained up? We feel very limited. We feel very incapable. Know this, the word of God cannot be chained. Know, God, know this, the plan of God can never be thwarted. This week I was kind of wrestling in my own time of prayer. And, and as I was serving in Vancouver Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, I was speaking at a joint conference for um, Korean-speaking um, young adults. I don't know if you guys know, but I'm Korean-American. And, uh, and because of that, I speak Korean. And I was given a wonderful opportunity to serve four churches, and it was a joint effort. And um, I, I love my Korean culture. I really do. It's, it's one of honor and respect. And um, when I went into the church, oh my gosh, the the extra respect and honor that they gave me, I was so embarrassed. I didn't know what to do. They had a special room just for the speaker. I was like, I've never experienced this in English ministry before. I didn't know that this happened. And as soon as I entered the room, they had like snacks. But not just like one snack, but like four snacks. And then they had like water heater going ready. And they were like, do you need anything? Do you need coffee? Do you need tea? And I was so embarrassed. I was like, I don't need anything. You just, I'll just handle it on my own, right? Now, as I was participating, after the first night, it was wonderful. And the second day, I opened up my Facebook app, and I saw a lot of kind of viral messages and posts about a pastor, a church in California, that took his own life. From what I understood, it was a fairly a prominent church, and it's called Inland Church. I don't know too much about it, but I was totally broken when I heard that. Now, why was I broken? Now, I didn't put any post to say, wow, pray for your pastors. Don't talk bad about your pastors. I know people are going to have opinions of me. That's okay. That doesn't bother me. But my main issue was, even though this pastor felt like he was in prison through his depression, anxiety, and all the things that he was dealing with, he still had no one to really turn to and share his problems. Apostle Paul, I believe, had this. Even though he was in prison, a church that he didn't even ever visit nor physically meet, he says, okay, if you remember me in your daily prayer, won't you at least pray for me? Not for my freedom, but that God would open a door for the word to enter, and through that, the mystery of Christ might be revealed. I would hope in our church, in our community, that that would be the highest priority for us. I understand there's a lot of people who are going through a lot of different things. It's your connection with Christ that will help you to face tomorrow. Now, I'm not going to talk about salvation, what happens with suicide, because I, I really want to just settle in my own heart, Lord, salvation belongs to our God, and I'm just going to let Him be. Figure that out. Because God is perfect. But for me, I read the article that his wife wrote and she titled it, God's Got This. And she said, Andy, you're so right. I never fully contemplated or comprehended the deep pain and depression 
and anxiety you faced. And then she says, I can't sleep. I can't eat. Everywhere I walk in this house reminds me of you. But I'm also broken for the church. How will the church worship? I heard that he tried to take his life and he, he died a late day later, but he did that at church. And for me, this is what I want to share. Um, we were just talking about this after first service. Some of our older um, members of our church in their 50s, you know, we were talking and, and they said, wow, Pastor Paul, it must be so hard to be a pastor. I said, no, not really. I've, I don't think it's hard. It's my calling. If it wasn't my calling, that'd be hard. But the one thing that I thought of is, do I have, and does our community have, at least one person that we can go and share our concerns with? Like we can talk about sports, and we can talk about what restaurants to go to, but do we have one person, like in the case of Apostle Paul, while he was in prison, that he can specifically say, I don't want you to just pray for my freedom, but I want you to pray for me in this. That he had the right and also the place to share something like this. Prayer is powerful. And as we pray for the church, and as we start to do that this Saturday at 7 a.m., we're going to call that morning prayer gathering because it's not really early morning, but it's morning gathering. We want you to come and just really, really go before the Lord in his presence on the second night after I, I finished uh, preaching uh, for the conference that I was at, um, I don't know, but this, this really bothered me. I don't know why. But this pastor um, taking his life, it just came at me really, really, really difficult. How bad could it have been to do that? Some people say depression, anxiety is of the evil one. Yes, perhaps. But I also say it's a disease and a sickness. The church did everything in their power to do so. I heard he was given a four-month break. But for me, what really, really bothered me was, how could he do that? And why did he do that? So the second day, after I finished, I was just really wrestling with this. and, And I also have difficulties that I go through. I don't know if you guys know, but I also have difficulties because I'm a human being. Do you guys know that? I know sometimes if you see me, like, I'm supposed to be just perfect and just look the part, but yeah. I hurt just as you guys. If someone pokes a needle, I also will bleed. I also have concerns for my kids' future. I also pray that they will not be hurt by the church, that they will not be a shell who just goes to church, but I want them to be real Christians who meet the Lord Jesus Christ. I often wonder, am I doing enough as a father? I often wonder, am I spending too much time at church? I often wonder, do I even have the means to provide for them in their future? That's why sometimes I have to brainwash them. You go to the school that gives you the most money, kids, not the school that is the best in your academic field. I often wonder if I'm the good husband that I need to be to my wife. I often wonder, as we adopted Bennett, that should I not be there more for him? I often wonder, am I supposed to be here? 
there's all these things that I go through. I have financial difficulties. Not because the church doesn't provide, but that happens in life. I go through ups and downs. And I was just wrestling with all of this. Imagine if your job, right, basically what you do, you're at the conversation of almost every dinner meeting. How hard would that be? Of course it's hard. I can't make a mistake. Whatever I say gets interpreted and judged. And so I was thinking, God, I don't know, like, how do, how do I deal with everything that is happening? Not that there's a problem, but for me, it's like, Lord, I want to see something beyond this. And as I was praying through that in my own time of prayer during that worship, the praise team started to sing this song. And it was that song that I love. And it goes like this. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. And I just broke down. I started to pray for that pastor who gave his life. Lord, I pray that even those, his children, his sons, his wife, the church, that they would see the glory of the immaculate goodness of who Jesus is, the supremacy of Christ, that Christ is greater, but they would also see because of Christ that we can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. And it was almost like this amazing healing presence came from head to toe. And that was something that only Christ can provide. And Apostle Paul knew this, that you're going to be in bondage. You're going to be chained up. There's going to be difficulty. There's going to be hurt and suffering. You're going to feel like the whole world is against you. But because he lives, you can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because he holds the future in his hand. Because of Christ, there are moments that I want to give up and quit. But because of Christ, I do it again. I do it again. He gives me the childlike heart to do it again. Apostle Paul knew this. Even though I'm in prison, he gives me the power of his resurrectional power and he makes me do it again in joy despite my depression, despite my anxiety, despite feeling suffocated. I do it again because it is Christ and his goodness. Because he lives. This week, someone sent me a text. And he, he's, I mean, I love all of our members. I hope you do that with me as well. If you don't, let's meet up and let's become really, really good people of God together. But, but he sent me this amazing text. And he does that often. I don't have too many people asking me how I'm doing. It's okay. I don't, I don't, you don't have to do that. But, but for him, he does. And he texted me and saying, hey, Pastor Paul, how are you doing? Can I hug you? Do you need a hug? Do you need prayer? Do you need encouragement? What do you need? Oh my gosh, like... The word of affirmation just with that just really melted my heart. I said, no, 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 no. You don't need to pray for me. I don't, I'll pray for you. But he was like, no, I want to pray for you. I want to know how you're doing. 
Maybe that would have helped. But for me, beyond just the encouragement, I get, and we get that source to face tomorrow and our fears because he lives. I love how Tim Keller wrote in his book that resurrection is not a constellation. It's not a third prize win, but resurrection is a full-out restoration. Where the things that you lost in your death, you get it all back, but it's made anew with the immaculate, unbelievable, unimaginable glory. Church, we have the power within us with Christ, who is the mystery, but unlocked for us in the word, and we have the ability to face tomorrow. If there's anyone that's about to quit, if there's anyone that's in paralyzing fear, if there's anyone that's just, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do with my life, may the resurrection of power that was in Apostle Paul be also in you, that you can also proclaim at the height of all that you are to say, he holds my future in his hand. That I can face tomorrow because he lives. As I was praying for our family, you know, I often wonder what Bennett is going to become like, what kind of person he is. I was having dinner with some of the local pastors in Vancouver and and I don't think he meant anything by it, but he was like, I'm so sorry, but it's going to come out wrong. He looks like you, but he's good looking. <laughs> what? <laughs> I, don't, I don't like you anymore. <laughs> but he said it like three more times. Don't get it wrong. Don't take it wrong. But, you know, he looks really like you, but he's actually good looking. He didn't say it that way, but that's how I heard it. Why is he calling me ugly? But, but you, know, I'm, you, know, I'm, you know, in our culture, we're so, like, saving face, and we're all, like, respectful. So, you know, I say, oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. You know? I acknowledge that I'm ugly, but he's good-looking, you know. And, and so, I, so I'm thinking, okay, yeah, in all this, Apostle Paul is teaching us to pray continuously, and I pray for Bennett. But sometimes there's a question in my heart. How do I prepare for a time when we have to tell him when he's cognitively aware that he's been adopted? How do we make it so that he's not going to hate his birth parents? How do I make it so that he's not going to be angry, he's going to love Christ, that he's going to love us in return? How do I know? How do I know? On our way back, I arrived at 12 midnight after leading worship last night from Vancouver, and my wife was sharing, honey, it was unbelievable. And I said, what happened? As I was laying hands on Bennett, I felt the pain that he had felt for the first 17 months of his life. I said, what do you mean? Being discarded, being given up, that no one giving him any kind of social interaction, being left alone, being on a hospital bed by himself for a month while his birth parents were discussing, should we or should we not? When his birth mother was going, do I abort? What do I do? And she said she felt that to every part of her cell, and she was praying, and then she started to just weep. And so now she's got my attention. I said, what did Bennett do? So said, honey, it was unbelievable. He lifted his hand and wiped my tears, and he too started to cry. How did that happen? Not because of good counseling, but it happened with prayer. Church, I pray that this kind of prayer life would be unleashed in your life. 
that you would do it every single day, not because it's a ritual or a discipline, it's because you are awake and alert to the imminent return of Christ. That that shapes, and according to it, we set all of our hearts and our boundaries with it. That even in your chains and suffering, that you would have someone to go to and say, won't you pray for me? But not just for me, but that God would use me to enter through the door with the word of God and unlock the mystery of Christ to all. And for those who feel in chain, the resurrectional power would be clothed from head to toe. And that you will be able to sing in all confidence because he lives. I will not only face tomorrow, I will look forward to tomorrow because all of my future is in his hands. Let's pray.